Saturday afternoon from the Chaotic Studios in Berkeley, California. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Rocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, biochips and gaydars. In addition, we'll be joined by Rick Greenfield, who will discuss quantum hoops. So stay tuned for all this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Berkeley Rocks Science Show. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? My appetite's finally been sated. Have you eaten everything that there is to eat in life? Load up on all the fat I'm going to have for the rest of the year today. <laughs> well, you're looking good, right, Charles? I try to, and the only way I can verify that is by never looking in the mirror. <laughs> so what's the best thing about putting on makeup every morning? So if you're ever worried about makeup being used for animal testing, that may be a thing of the past. A project led by a professor here, Douglas Clark, in chemical engineering at UC Berkeley, and one of his colleagues, Professor Dordick at Rensselaer, have developed a biochip, a glass chip, with cells containing either enzymes or human cells from different organs, and you can use that to effectively test reactions to new chemicals. I see. Put on whatever chemicals are in your cosmetics and see if the biochip reacts. Right. If, well, especially if the cell dies, then that's probably a sign of toxicity. Generally, yeah. <laughs> the future is eventually to have all animals testing done by these type of chips, which would avoid any uh, cruelty. It's, it's only cruel to the chips. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some scientists think that's still many years into the future, and they think in vivo testing is still the most efficient to carry out. It, it'll probably be a little while, but at least we're making progress. That's because scientists are lazy and they don't want to change. That's why I became a scientist. Yeah, well, progress is job number two. I end up working a lot more. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder, right? Right. And these people are working smarter, and how can we find out about that? This is reported by the Associated Press, or you can take a look at their new company. It's called uh, Solidus. All right, well, it might be kind of cool to tell whether or not those biochips are gay or not. Well, you know, I, I thought oh, that's only restricted to animals. <laughs> Would you be able to tell? Out there, there could be more than just two sexes, right? <laughs> Don't slime moles have, like, multiple type of sexes? Well, you know, especially the in-between ones, like the hermaphrodites. Those are very cool. <laughs> well, so how is your gaydar is the question. I think it's pretty effective. I have never successfully detected people. It's always after the fact that I find out, oh. Oh, so it's not very good, your gaydar, you're saying? I don't think so. Okay, well, for most people, though, it seems like humans are remarkably very good at being able to tell whether or not somebody's gay just based on initial impression. I guess everyone has some sort of intuition. This is actually very interesting for uh, psychologists who are interested in face recognition, these kinds of questions, whether or not these types of traits can be recognized instantly or if it takes time at first. And so there was actually a landmark study done by psychologist Nalini Ambedi and Robert Rosenthal in 1994, where they showed people just short two-second clips of professors, and they were almost instantly able to tell their teaching ability as verified by student evaluations thereafter, right. matched up quite quickly. So right. they're wondering what else this applied to, huh. in particular whether or not you could tell someone's sexual orientation based on just a quick initial impression. Whoa. What Mbedi and his uh, new colleague Nicholas Rule did at Tufts University, they showed people short clips of 
gay or straight faces and ask them to immediately tell, do you think they're gay or straight? So was this a video or just a picture? Just a picture. Wow. Subjects were correct about 70% of the time with these faces telling their sexual orientation. Wow. Isn't this the premise of that book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah. It's essentially that the complexities of your brain are such that they can extract patterns right. very quickly. Yeah. Right. So very interesting and published in a recent edition of the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. And that's all for a look at current developments in the world of science and technology this week. In a few moments, Rick Greenfield joins us to talk about science and sports. So stay right there. Welcome back to the program. Well, we have a very special guest here today, movie producer and director Rick Greenwald. Recently, one of his films is Quantum Hoops, which chronicles the basketball team at Caltech, uh, also known as the California Institute of Technology. Uh, Mr. Greenwald, thank you so much for joining us on this program. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, what piqued your interest about a group of, you know, so-called nerds who... uh, got into the the sports game. You know, I guess the the main thing with this team is the fact that um, they happen to have a 21-year losing streak. It's a 240-straight game conference losing streak dating back to 1985. And that sort of piqued my interest right away. The fact that you can tack on the so-called the, the nerd thing, like you're saying, uh, makes it a little more unbelievable, which is, which is really saying that these guys are the smartest, uh, some of the smartest uh, math and science kids in the entire country, and they also happen to play basketball, and unfortunately they uh, um, lose all the time, but I thought that would make it really colorful, and, and you know, honestly, the, the original thought was that it was kind of humorous, and the cool thing was it is humorous, but once you get involved in the story, um, it's a whole lot more than, than, you know, the obvious kind of comedy angle that people just assume, you know, like a lot of bloopers and bad basketball, but um, there's a lot of heart and character to um, what goes on there. So I just want to add my own anecdote since I myself was an undergrad at mm-hmm. Caltech, and you know I remember we were uh, we were very proud of our team even though we had not won at all. And I just remember you know during dinner we had these announcements where some member of the team or one of the sports enthusiasts would be you know really proudly you know talking about what was going on, and you know it was just very heartening to know that even though very likely that we were not going to win. There was just so much enthusiasm. I thought that was just one of the, you know, the best things about my experience there. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, a bit of a beauty, and, and um, um, part of that is the, the, you know, the purity of Caltech sports. Um, and, it, and it is great that, that people in the um, Caltech community do support the sports teams because, by and large, most of them lose and lose badly. So <laughs> the fact that people 
you know, can get out and really say, you know, I mean, the players don't play to have a close game necessarily. They do play to win, which kind of surprises people. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice the community can look over their shoulder and go, hey, great. Um, I think part of the pride that, that comes in is knowing that every single athlete there is a true student athlete. They, uh-huh. they weren't recruited and given scholarships because Caltech doesn't <laughs> offer athletic scholarships. They're only there because they got into Caltech. And I think, um, you know, at some schools it, that's not always the case. Some of the, the true scholars there kind of look down on the, uh, some of the athletes knowing that, well, not all, everybody on the football team really qualified, would qualify to get in here if they didn't play football. So, you know, that – that kind of happens at, at, at other schools, but not at Caltech. And, and that's a very, very unique thing. Not too many schools can say something like that, if any, other than Caltech. Right. And, you know, speaking of football, you, you probably know the reason why San Diego ended up not having a football team, right? Do not. Oh, okay. It was many years ago. Caltech had a football team that was, at the time, it was not reputed to be strong, but it, for some reason, had beaten uh, UC San Diego. And as a result of that, the, the coach said, we're just going to discontinue the program because if we can be beat by Caltech, then what's the, what's the point? Well, that one I didn't hear, but uh, I do know that uh, at one point they beat USC, which most people are shocked to find out, and USC vowed never to play Caltech ever again. Obviously, USC <laughs> went on to some incredible football greatness, but right. uh, they did lose. Uh, Caltech beat UCLA in basketball once. Um, you know, that the the the, the Sports history at Caltech is surprisingly rich. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were once rivals with um, UCLA and USC. They were in the same conference. Mm-hmm. Um, they started the conference together, and USC and UCLA went off to um, bigger things. They wanted to be that type of athletic school, and Caltech didn't. Caltech wanted to be a science and math school, mm-hmm. and they still wanted to keep their athletics, but not at that expense. And, and I think that's part of what you're saying with the football team. That's true for um, you know, basketball, there's been, um, you know, a loss to Caltech has gotten. In fact, there's a game that uh, the Caltech lost in overtime and the coach was still so distraught or his athletic director was so distraught that he either got fired or was asked to resign and he won the game. But that, that's, you know, that's what it means to another program to lose or have a close game with Caltech that something must be wrong. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of funny, but at the same time, that's sort of. Uh, you know, that's a little insulting to what they do at Caltech, and it, it really shouldn't be that way. And that's why I have, uh, you know, Greg Popovich from the Spurs. He actually lost to Caltech in 1980, and he ended their 10-year losing streak. But he's in the film, and he goes on record, you know, and, and he's really upfront about it. He was like, you know, it was horrible at the time, but it's a great life lesson, great experience, and look where he is now. He's won four NBA championships, so he turned out okay. <laughs> In filming this program, um, what were some of the interesting student stories you encountered? Um, you know, there, there's a lot of them. It's, it's really kind of fun to see what goes on at Caltech. A lot of people don't know uh, that that's the school that the movie Real Genius is based on. Mm-hmm. And Real Genius is actually based on true Caltech stories. You know, that, that is the school where they took apart the car and rebuilt it in somebody's room and um, you know, just all the weird stuff that goes on. It's a very interesting place. I mean, um, th- that going through the dorm, you know, having the, the kid walk me through the dorm um, and seeing, you know, like in his room, um, he built a refrigerator for a keg to, to hold a keg of beer. They built the refrigerator from scratch. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that right. doesn't really happen <laughs> in a lot of schools where they do such a thing. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, it's, it's a really tiny school, so the sense of community is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that kind of blew me away. It had a small 
um, high school feel to me where everybody knows each other and they're, they're all kind of there. Uh, everybody's there for the same reason. And, and, you know, all the kids, I think, I think the nerdy thing is, is a little overhyped because I think um, maybe because I'm kind of nerdy myself, but I think what they do there is really cool, you know, that everybody's really passionate about their particular subject and, and, you know, they're not, and they're pretty shameless about it. You know, um, one of the fun things too, a couple guys from the basketball team were in uh, a mechanical engineering class, which is sort of the robot battle, you know, it's called ME 72. And, you know, they built, they, they build these robots and then they have the battle at the end of the course. And, um, I imagine stuff like that goes on at other schools, but that was really fun to see that, you know, everybody on campus kind of came out for that, um, and probably more people came out to watch that competition than come to some of the sporting events. You know, when you interviewed some of the uh, the coaches, did you have any interesting revelations? Um, yeah, I think uh, that that they are very skilled at what they do. I think um, the fact that they give it their all, the head coach, Roy Dow, I mean, he doesn't quit. He's pretty harsh on the players. I think a lot of people, when they see the film, at the beginning, he's you know he's kind of uh, he's very emotional. You know, I mean, you know, a little Bobby Knight, I guess people like to say, where where he's you know he's really intense, and that kind of is strange to people because they just assume if you have that bad of a record and the scores are as bad as they are on paper, that the coach probably doesn't care that that he's sort of a joke. Maybe maybe they begged him to come and coach these kids. Well, this guy's a real coach. Um, his predecessor was a real coach. You know, the guy coached there for 15 years. He was a legendary Caltech, uh, California basketball coach. And he stayed at Caltech for 15 years. He didn't win a game. And then Roy comes, and he has a great basketball background. And he actually beat out 200 people to get that job. Um, that's how hard a head coaching job <laughs> is um, to acquire, on, you know, on any level of college basketball. So, um, you know, that, that was pretty surprising as well. And the guy doesn't quit. I mean, it's really inspiring to see, you know, day after day after day, um, he wants to keep pushing the kids, and he wants to keep teaching them, and, and ultimately the goal is to win. You know, that, that is sort of the point um, uh, for a lot of it, but not really. Um, he doesn't define success on wins and losses. A, you can't um, because you're not expected to win any games of any kind under any circumstances. Um, and B, you know, it, it's, it's, he, he recognizes that there's more to the school than the one-loss record and that the, the achievements on the basketball court don't necessarily have to be based on a win. Looking back, you know, what, what does this whole experience say to us in terms of, like, education? Uh, how easy it is, is it for people who are really focused on one subject to still branch out into uh, other activities? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of different angles on that. Um, I think for a place like Caltech, which... You know, the kids are only there for academics, and the fact that they get the opportunity to play um, NCAA college basketball or, or other sports um, is a great benefit, and, and the, the kids that take advantage of it have proven to um, have a really good balance in their lives because it's, it's so academically focused that they get this opportunity to do something different, have a different peer group, have a coach who is not part of the science or engineering um, world uh that you know it's just a different perspective um and also you know the outsider's message is that there is still a place um you know the people who don't necessarily like their division one sports which i happen to love my division one sports so it's not really an indictment on other schools it's just another it's just 
recognizing that there is a school out there that um, is purely about academics and um, athletics take truly, truly take um, a backseat to what goes on academically there on, on every level. So I understand you had uh, David Duchovny do the narration, is yeah. that right? Yeah. He, um, I approached him, I found out he actually played basketball at Princeton, and so he kind of has, uh, obviously he was the uh, you know, main guy on the X-Files, so he sort of covered <laughs> some of the angles I was looking for. The X-Files sort of covered the, the geek theme, I guess. Um, and then you've got um, you know, the basketball and the fact that he went to, went to Princeton and Yale. Uh, there aren't many actors in Hollywood who have that sort of thing. And, and I think his voice and, and what people know him for is that he kind of covers drama and comedy because there's certainly a lot of um, comical elements in the film. Uh, there sort of has to be. And he's also serious. So people, I think, um, subconsciously people are willing to accept when he's talking to you that he knows what he's talking about and, and in some things are really tongue-in-cheek and you can balance the comedy and the, and the, the emotional or, or, or straightforward stuff. Um, well, was a, you know, he loved the project. That was really exciting to me that, you know, he watched it and he's like, oh, this really touched a nerve with me. I just, I, you know, I, he could relate. He just felt something, uh, something about it really got him and, and he was willing to uh, jump on board, which was really exciting for us. And I understand you're doing a film tour around the country um, and you're, you'll be actually in Berkeley, is that right? Yes, we'll be at the landmark Shattuck Cinemas right across from uh, UC Berkeley or right around the corner or so. And actually, there's a couple cool things Berkeley-related. The best player on the team that I followed is actually currently a graduate student at Berkeley. And the starting center from the 1985 team, which was the last team to win, essentially the team that started the streak, he went to graduate school at Berkeley as well and actually led the Berkeley club volleyball team to two national championships. So, um, so there is a tie-in there. In fact, one of the, one of the, the best athletes in Caltech history um, should have gone to Berkeley. Um, he got into, Ber- into Caltech, and then Berkeley offered him uh, a baseball scholarship, and he had already accepted to Caltech, so he ended up going there, and he literally was the greatest athlete they've ever had. He's also uh, the, one of the world's best free-throw and three-point shooters. He's got a bunch of world records in that category, so he should have been a, a, <laughs> a Cal Bear, I guess. <laughs> and will you be joining this uh, film tour? Yes, they're coming up. I have some friends up there. I'm hoping to finally get a chance to see the film. Great. Uh, we certainly uh, look forward to that. And, you know, I, I guess on the theme of technical or you know, engineering-related films, uh, what other films have you been involved with? You know, this was my first uh, feature-length documentary that I directed on my own. Um, I've been involved in the past. I worked, uh, the most recent one was I did a lot of the effects on a surf documentary called Riding Giants. Uh-huh. Uh, it was uh, uh, doc- uh, directed by Stacy Peralta, who also did Dogtown and Sea Boys, and that was sort of the inspiration to kind of branch out and do my own project. You know, I had worked for other people on on a lot of other things. I, the, the joke is, I'm more infamous for being the uh, editor for the Anna Kornikova fitness video, which um, remains the best-selling fitness video that nobody actually ever worked out to. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, interestingly, we actually had. George Foreman on our program many mm-hmm. years ago, <laughs> and he was selling um, some sort of uh, fitness DVD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe I should have hooked up with him and worked on his uh, fitness video too. Not as not as good looking as Anna Kornikova though. <laughs> okay, and uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today, Rick. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
All right, and with us right now is someone very special, Jordan Carlson, who was one of the featured players in the film. Uh, Mr. Carlson, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, um, I, I certainly admire the fact that you know you could excel both in science and also um, in sports. Maybe you could just tell us what brought you to the basketball team. I grew up uh, loving the game of basketball. Probably spent more time playing basketball than I did reading as a kid. And you know, I still love the game, but I slowly started to realize that it wasn't going to take me everywhere I wanted to go. I wasn't quite good enough for the NBA, so I started shifting my attention more towards academics, focusing more on school and educating myself. But when I got to Caltech, you know, I had the chance there to play NCAA basketball. You know, I really couldn't pass up that opportunity, so <laughs> I took it. You know, what was the best thing about this experience? Uh, did it help you in your studies at the same time? It always served as a great stress relief. You know, college is a really hard time, and you can't study all the time. You just burn out. So basketball is a good way to get away from books for a little bit, let out some energy, and I think everybody appreciated it for that. Yeah, personally, I just love to compete, so it was, it was a good way to let out stress, I guess. Uh, well, that's really inspirational. Um, what do you have to say for those people who they sometimes get so focused on what they're doing that they don't really, you know, go out and pursue other interests. How should they branch out into uh, just from their own singular pursuits? Well, yeah, you can't you can't ever be one-dimensional in life. You know, what were some of the, you know, fun stories that came out of the basketball team? Uh, I do know there's a, there's a standing promise that uh, when the Caltech men win a conference basketball game, there will be a large bonfire in the streets of Pasadena that night. Okay, and you guys had one? No, we didn't win a conference game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so something maybe to look forward to in the future, huh? Right, that's right. Well, I, I really just want to thank you for your time and uh, coming along for the show. <laughs> thank you. And we were just talking to Jordan Carlson, who was on the Caltech basketball team. In a few moments, the Groctron 5000, so stay tuned. program and Mr. Greenfield has kindly agreed to join us on this week's edition of the Grokatron 2000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. Uh, today's question, which movie or actor? And you'll be given five subjects and you'll tell us what movie or actor comes to mind when you hear their name. Subject number one, astrophysicist Stephen Hawking. Uh, first I would say Quantum Hoops just because he plays a, a, a cameo in there, but actor-wise it, it's probably somebody like uh, Crispin Glover, who was uh, Marty McFly or, or George McFly from uh, Back to the Future and many other odd roles. <laughs> All right, subject number two, um, TV celebrity Oprah Winfrey. 
Um, uh, I guess it depends on um, how she looks at the time, but probably uh, uh, t- Tyler Perry or um, Eddie Murphy because they tend to uh, play women characters more. <laughs> All right, uh, subject number three, former presidential candidate Al Gore. Maybe Al Gore would be better defined by a, by a movie. Wow, who's really... Which he has one. <laughs> his own, yeah, his own movie. Um, who's really flat? Um, no offense to Al Gore, of course, but, uh, well, maybe, maybe even more appropriate, um, the, what's the movie with the big wave that comes crashing, kind of the, something apocalyptic, I suppose, would be more appropriate for, uh, um, Al Gore, and I'm running short on a title for some reason. All right, uh, subject number four, uh, NBA superstar Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I guess Shaquille O'Neal would be playing himself, since he was the star of the critically acclaimed Blue Chips which he did a phenomenal job, shocking that his career did not take off after Blue Chips. Mm. <laughs> I also saw him in some uh, HBO special. Which was what? Uh, I don't remember the title, but it, it features this cranky old man who's very stingy and <laughs> complains about everything. But like in this one film, he accidentally crashes into Shaquille, and you know, he has an accident, and Shaquille's like, really pissed off at him. <laughs> All right, and subject number five, a perennial favorite, the President of the United States, George W. Bush. Ooh, well, there's a comedy, I, I guess, right there. Um, <laughs> I heard Oliver Stone was going to make a film. I think so. I think they just announced that. I would imagine that won't be a comedy. <laughs> It'll probably be pretty vicious. Um, a tragedy. <laughs> a little bit of a tragedy. George Bush, who's kind of a... Is Alfred E. Newman a movie star? Because don't they kind of look alike with the ears and the kind of kind of goofy face? Hmm. You know, poor George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Poor George, right? He's made some mistakes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, he still has one year to correct them, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not enough time for that, unfortunately. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and for the Grokotron 2000. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, and now here's Jedi Master Yoda in the studio to help us out with this week's question of the week. Yoda, thank you very much for joining us today again. Hmm, confusing and mysterious this puzzle is. Indeed, especially on Dagobah. Do you guys have memes up there? Green and fuzzy, you think they are. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I thought they were very tasty, but uh, what in fact are memes, Yoda? Hmm, ponder this, I have an idea that has transcended time and space. Hmm, those are the memes. Wow. Very cool. Thank you, Yoda. Hmm, and may the force be with you. And also with you. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon, and stay tuned for more music. Music.